Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Organizers of Atlanta's Black Pride Weekend proudly boast it is the largest Black Pride in the country. Taking place over the Labor Day weekend, It promises something for everyone, with day and night parties and over 25 events that are open to all. Two of the unique events include an LGBTQ plus food and wine festival and a panel discussion entitled Artists in the Afternoon. Ebanman Inc., in collaboration with Atlantic Black Pride, is launching the LGBTQ plus food and wine festival, which plans to become an annual event. Ebanman is a lifestyle brand dedicated to enhancing the lives of black gay men. Its CEO, Tom Logan, who's based in Chicago but travels frequently to Atlanta, will share how the food, wine, and liquors were curated to shine a spotlight on foodies and the black LGBTQ plus community. It's the first food and wine festival shining an international spotlight on the diversity of LGBTQ influence in food, wine, and the spirits industry. Dr. Derek Tennille, founder and CEO of Rethink the Narrative Media Company, will moderate the panel for artists in the afternoon, prose, poetry, and more. Rethink the Narrative's mission is to be a creative voice that educates, empowers, and entertains communities of color and beyond. The panels Dr. Tennille is moderating will cover everything from tapping your inner artist, how to get published, and more. Planning a road trip to Atlanta for the largest black pride in the country? There's something for everyone, including these two unique. Well, everyone knows how I love, I have this love thing with Atlanta. I mean, sooner or later, I'm going to get back down there and be there. And um, we have something that's coming up pretty soon. You know, I've been down there for Atlanta Pride before, but today... Um, we're going to talk about a special, a couple of special events. But one of the first ones is by an organization that was founded by our guest today, Tom Logan. Tom, how are you? I'm doing fine, Michelle. How are you this afternoon? Okay. I see that, you know, we have our mutual friend in Chicago, Phil Esteem, and um, 
but I know what you you started out in Chicago and moved to Atlanta. How long have you been in Atlanta? Um, well, actually, I am still based in Chicago, but I do go back and forth to Atlanta for different events that we host. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do you try to find those events during the winter? Because you know it can be pretty cold in Chicago. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, tell us about your organization. Um, how and you say you go back and forth between the two. How does that work? I mean, how do you pivot between the two? Um, so, tell us. Can you tell us briefly about Ebanman Inc. Yeah. So Ebay Men Inc., I founded, say, about five, six years ago, and it was based off of the gaps that I was experiencing in my life. Ebay Men is a mm-hmm. lifestyle for professional black gay men. The reason why I created it is not really find um, individuals such as myself within the online experience as well as different events that was going around in the city. And so with the gaps, I felt like, if they're not there, then let me try to create them. So it initially started off as hosting First Friday events uh, for professional black gay men at different venues. And then from there, I created an online platform. The online platform allows my company to showcase other professionals within corporate, entrepreneurs, or just everyday life that are out there uh, being black, being professional, being gay, just being themselves. Mm-hmm. After that, I decided that it also needs to be something outside of the current um, apps or social platforms that are currently out there. And so we also created an eBay Man app. This is a social networking app. Just imagine kind of like your LinkedIn and your Facebook where it allows you to mm-hmm. socialize, network, connect with other individuals, travel and resources and information that can be shared within the community. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's great. And the fact that you do that because it's important to have that kind of app, to have that kind of uh, connection. I remember seeing because you had, uh, you're one of the sponsors of the Esteem Awards. And it's it's important to have that because often, like you said, like you go to the regular apps and sometimes, you know, and we do want to know how to have a good time and everything, but it isn't always about, you know, looking for a love match, a partner, a hookup, uh, hanging out. Sometimes exactly. there's that, that connection that, you know, who else is doing business? And we are a community as an LGBTQ community, but also people have to recognize that being black and gay and having a business is different than being white and gay and having a business. So if I have that space where, you can share ideals, you know, talk about business practices, talk about yeah. case studies, you know, what has gone wrong and, and right and how to overcome it. I mean, I can see that it's so valuable for our community. Agreed. Yeah. So, so where are you based? Are you based, do you consider yourself a national organization? Actually, it's a global organization. The reason why I say it's global is our marketing director, his name is Perez Pratt. He's actually based in South Africa. And so wow. he is, yes, our goal is to be global. So he essentially works out of South Africa for us. 
amazing. He helps with developing our LinkedIn profile, also making sure that from a marketing standpoint, um, our brand is getting noticed, and it is. We have connections also in London. Um, there's a couple people that we connect with also in Paris as well. Wow, that's awesome. How did? What is the meaning behind the name? Great question. So Ebane Man stems from the word Ebane, which is an indicative word. And the word mm-hmm. means community, means safety, and the love that you would find within a home. So taking mm-hmm. the two words together, it essentially means a community of men. On my end, it means a community of black gay men. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. You know, and I mean... We're going to talk about one specific event, but eventually I need to circle back with you and talk to you because not only do I know um, people, black gay men who are starting organizations and are reaching out to people globally, but are in different places doing it. And I, I mean, and I'm sure you know many of them, but hey, all of you need to be connected and support yeah. each other. Okay. Yeah, and that's the goal of the app. You're correct. Mm-hmm. So how did you, you tell me that you go back and forth between Chicago and Atlanta. How did that link start? Actually, I have a colleague, uh, Joshua Luke, that is based in Atlanta, and he does a lot of the footwork. Uh, he is CEO of a company called Monarch Inc. And so between the two of us, um, he's helped out tremendously with Ebane Man and also with his projects, and so he is my source and my go-to individual in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Now, I always I always tell people, you know, like, I love all the – I mean, I like pride. You know, I go yeah. through many prides. I love black prides. I love black gay prides, and I, and I especially love the Atlanta pride because I was telling someone um, a few years ago I happened to be down there. Um, okay. I went to – and there was a strong – sense of community, you know. Yes. In fact, many years ago, like briefly, I I sort of lived down there for not a full year. I got sort of homesick and had other things and came back to Michigan. But there's a strong sense of community. I loved being down there amongst my folks, you know. And it's like I'm often tempted to, to be there. This Black Pride is coming up, and you are launching – the annual LGBTQ food and wine festival. Can you tell us about that and how did that concept come in and to do it as part of Pride? Wow, great question. And I love the way you you accent it because it is it is a very huge undertaking, a very huge event, and we wanted to have uh, some historical connotation behind it as well. So the reason why we created it was for twofold. One, most uh, prides, and that's and that's all over, are usually generated from um, various uh, prides in the park where there's music and a really mm-hmm. great. Experience. Um, but sometimes um, I personally was feeling that there was still a connection that I was missing as um, not only a mature or from an older demographic, 
but also just from the kind of also experience that I wanted to experience being a part of Pride. And so that's the other component with the Bang Man is trying to figure out other ways to keep more of an inclusive experience for mature individuals and individuals that may not um, feel included in certain Pride events that are currently taking place. And so I wanted to create a different atmosphere, a more elevated experience. Um, We as a community, we love food, we love uh, wine, spirits, and we really want to enjoy that. And a lot of times we're only enjoying that in a heterosexual environment. And so why not create that opportunity within our own community? We have a ton of foodies, a ton of chefs, a ton of bakers, a ton of influencers, uh, culinaries, uh, sommeliers that are part of our community. Why not showcase that? And so the reason behind it, again, is that I always want to create environments that I would enjoy, my circle would enjoy, and hopefully a large number of the demographic would enjoy as well. And so that's how mm-hmm. the food and wine came about. I wanted to create experience during Pride where myself and other individuals that may not feel that some of the other events and festivities that were going on fit their needs or what they were looking to experience during Pride. So I said, let's host a food and wine festival. And the great thing about it is we've gotten huge and um, rave reviews for it, which I was very pleased with, not only within the community, but outside of the community as well. And a lot of them have wanted to join and jump on board, as you stated, because it is the inaugural event. And it's something that hopefully we can um, create this continuous history with. Yes. You know, and it, and it is true. I mean, and sometimes it's like you'll have, like, a small party and you'll have friends who get together who appreciate food, fine wine, um, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, special liquor, you know, not just, you know, and that and that convert show conversation and things to talk about and we have a lot of people in there but like you said often we as black gay people we don't celebrate them we don't lift them up and you never know right. who the next one is to do yeah. that yes yeah wow um so how what you know you talk about as an education um, component to it to educate new impressions of the LGBTQ community in the food and spirits industry. Okay, <clears throat> I mean we often know people who are the bakers, who are the sommeliers, who are you know foodies, but we yeah. don't. Others don't. You know they go like they figure you know oh if it's Black Gay Pride there's going to be somebody there with a grill and, you know, passing around, whatever. But there are so mm-hmm. many great restaurants and stuff. Who are you trying, are you trying to educate not only our community, but the community at large? Great question again. Yes, actually both. Um, so for our community, actually show, showcasing the different options that we have. Um, there's some great restaurants down there. We're actually partnering with one black gay couple. They own a restaurant called Forks and Flavors in Atlanta. They're hosting a curated experience uh, flight menu for us on that Friday. Um, and we're also showcasing our community to corporate 
corporate America to um, individuals that typically may look at not-for-profit organizations or may look at the black gay community or LGBTQ community as a statistic, let's start looking at us as consumers. Let's start looking mm-hmm. at us as viable dollars and making sure that we service them. And that's, again, what Ebay Man is about, is making sure that we are looked at as consumers and how can I be the concierge to my clientele, which is the black gay man, but also focusing on the LGBTQ community at large. And that's where the Food and Wine Festival comes in. And, again, rave reviews from corporations that essentially – are asking, is, is this your first event? We've never heard of it. Yes, we're Yay. definitely interested. So we're really pleased about, again, the positive feedback that we have been receiving. You know, I and when I listen to you talk, and I also think how, you know, we, we talk about representation. And yep. often we know people who are, I mean, I have a friend who is here who is um, a baker, but um, the jobs that when she go in, and she'd say, well, you know, I'm I'm interested in being, you know, your head baker and all like that. And they would go like, yeah, sure. Well, this is where you can stop. And she'd no, I have this experience. But it was the fact that no one had ever seen, you know, a black lesbian and, and you know, just a black woman with this skills yeah. and background. And this, by having this type of event, you know, that's lifting us up. That's really lifting us up. So when someone comes in, it isn't like, oh, you know, yeah, as a sous chef, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, it sets the stage. It sets the stage to, and and we even made the statement of it sets the national stage that these individuals are getting uh, showcased. Um, There's a great magazine that is an ally, Cuisine Noir. And they were so on board, they want to partner with us where they're showcasing not only the festival, but moving forward, they also want to help with showcasing the different sommeliers, the chefs, the bakers that are included within the community. Um, We're also working with a spirits and wine distributor that is uh, creating an initiative to also showcase it from a wine ownership from a spirit's ownership within the community, and we're working to be the brand ambassadors for them. Mm-hmm. So who planned what was going to be showcased as far as food, liquors, wine? Who? How did you come up with what you were going to showcase? Joshua I have uh, taken on uh, this first year in mm-hmm. creating the experience. Um, and the experience was figuring out um, what's the best we can do for the first year. It's a little bit more curated, a little bit more um, figuring out what's the portion of LGBTQ, what's the portion of black that we need, what's the portion of ally that we need to kind of showcase a very well-rounded balance. And that was our goal for this and was to also make it a bridge event that not only was it LGBTQ, not only was it black, but we were just trying to make sure that everyone was a part of it. Um, And so curating that, we reached out to as many individuals as possible and still reaching out to individuals that are still coming on board. They still feel like they have time. We're making sure that everyone that wants to be a part is a part. 
you know what I like about it too is like okay you're catering it to the black LGBTQ community but we're black I mean you know yeah. I mean that, that I mean we black people I mean a black people we have an, an amazing palette for so yeah. many different things and you know and to sort of say hey here again representation here we are but this is our culture our food our taste and things that we like and you know i think that it's amazing do you when you're looking at wines and you're looking at uh whiskeys when you're looking at food when you're looking are you looking for particularly in wines and the beverage part are you looking for people who are more than just distributors who are distilling who are maybe vineyards uh developing vineyards are you looking at that too of course uh as you probably know in the wine and spirits industry it's a huge disproportion between the number of owned uh wine mm-hmm. vineyards versus the actual consumer and so in terms of our research and reaching out to individuals in terms of finding LGBTQ owned, it was definitely a challenge. Um, there mm-hmm. is a large of black wine vintners that are out there. And so we reached out. A lot of them are based in California. There's actually a few in Atlanta. Um, but that mm-hmm. was, yeah, that's what we are still doing. We are consistently reaching out to them. Uh, when it comes to the, again, spirits as well, um, it is a challenge trying to find people within our community, but that's what we're working on. We have some great ones. There is Lambda Vodka that's based out of New York. They have their own vodka company. And there's a few other ones, too, that we are making connections with. Mm. Is it your hope that in doing it and by showcasing it, it will inspire, like, the next generation of people who maybe right now are like, wow, I didn't know we could do that, (laughs) and then maybe that they will start to have restaurants, you know, develop their own, you know, more than just uh, brews, but, you know, maybe say, hey, let's get together and buy some land, and what would it take for us to have a vineyard and take it all the way? Yes. Um, the initiative that I would love to work on is creating safe spaces for the community, mm-hmm. Financial wealth and heritage for the community as well. Mm. For the Black LGBTQ community, as we get older, as we mm-hmm. retire, there's again such a disproportion in terms of health and how we will be taken care of as we get older. A lot of us may not have children or a spouse, spouse or significant other that we can lean upon. So a lot of times there is that additional need for financial stability. And so how do we do that? How do we create that that well-rounded financial plan for us? And a lot of times that may consist of investments or finding out about different opportunities. How do we do that? We have to internally create them. Do you feel, I mean, are you hoping to also have like, not just an educational part, but a historic part? Because some of the stuff we've been doing and maybe it was passed on generation generation in the family and it's about to die out where maybe there's one person who's left in the family who might be 
the queer member of the family, but like to like go back and find your, your recipes. This is not brand new. Think about what your family has been doing. I mean, one of the things that makes me think about it was I was listening. I'm one of those NPR nerds, and they were talking about uh, one of the um, the islands in uh, South Carolina where there were like 29 people left from this Gullah community. And part mm. of what they were talking about was like, how do we bring people back and not lose our culture? Part of our culture has been in, you know, developing recipes, foods, whatever. Is it? Do, are you hoping to have that historical component at some point to come through? Like, hey, you know, this isn't brand new. We've been doing it. Let's reclaim it and reclaim yes. it as ours in a safe space. Yes, yes. Uh, extremely great question. Um, working with, there's a gentleman actually based here in Chicago, and his name is Charles Nelson. And so what he is creating, he is working on creating a historical museum for the LGBTQ community. So definitely working with him to incorporate as much history as possible um, because it, it is a need for it. Um, a lot of times you do hear from the youth in the LGBTQ community that they're looking for uh, sometimes that guidance or reference points um, to help them navigate in their journey or some type of mentorship and that there is a lack of that. There is a lack of that that needs to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny that, that you should talk about because I had just recently talked to someone who is from um, here in Detroit, and he's trying to collect it, collect the same thing. But I also remember <clears throat> talking to someone, you know, we had Ruth Ellis who lived here, and, like, Ruth Ellis lived to be 100, and someone did a film on it, and it showed how way back in the day, you know, she had her own business and, you mm-hmm. know, employed other people and, and made a safe space for us. And there are people who now look like, wow, if Ruth could do it, you know, we yeah. have that. We are entrepreneurs. So I think that that's, that's a really, I mean, we are such an amazing community. I mean, you know, we're more, like you said, I, I, we're always more than parties or more than, you know, and, and I do love, you know, pose and all that, but we're more than that. We've had all of these rich things, and even within, like, the ballroom community, there's a rich history. Food. Yeah. Food, and yeah. particularly for black people, okay, because, you know, they gave us nothing, and look at all we've made out of it, you know. I mean, yeah. they, they, we were like, and so to be able to highlight this, and to really like, this is what you're doing to me is to say, this is the ultimate. This is what this is what we can be. More of us can be, you know, this greatness. I think this is like really incredible. So you've had good turnout. I mean, good reception as far from everyone, right? Yes, we have had, um, as I said before, some really great feedback. Um, individuals that want to come out and show their support as well as showcase to the community. Um, a lot of them definitely do get that buying power of the LGBTQ community. Uh, we are connoisseurs. We love the finer things. Um, why okay. would you not happen to that community? And so a lot of them are, again, definitely on board. And so we are humbly appreciate all the um, positive responses that we have been receiving. So, I know that on the second you're having cocktails and conversation. 
how many people are you hoping, you know, what's a good balance? I mean, you want to have people there, but you also want to have be able to have the best experience from that. What are you looking at as far as numbers? Where is it going to be? And tell us a little bit more about cocktails and conversation. Oh, great. So Cocktails and Conversation is actually a partnership that is a well-rounded conversation that we partner with uh, Phil from Philistine. Um, there mm-hmm. is Dr. Saunders as well as in based in Ohio. And what they wanted to create was a conversation around not only the arts, in the LGBTQ community, but mental health and wellness, business, financial support, entrepreneurship. So we're creating kind of this mini conversation and cocktails talk on that Saturday. Uh, We're looking from anywhere to 75 to 125 people to show up. It is a free event, and we really want individuals to come out and enjoy and really get an experience of a great dialogue. Again, we wanted to create another type of event outside of what most would typically expect during pride season and capture that audience that feel like they're not being included at all. Now, I know what you're also doing. There's spirit and food pairings. Um, another thing that I just recently learned, I'm, I'm not a drinker, okay? I'm going to be honest. I'm not a drinker. But, you know, like I said, I'm that nerd. I'm that nerd. I'm watching this program and I learned that Kentucky has bourbon, Tennessee has whiskey, and it has something to do with the water, you know. Um, are you going to, you know, that kind of, and I was like, wow, this is interesting. But also, yeah. you know, I've been to restaurants and it's like, well, if you're lucky, you have someone who will take the time to tell you this wine would go well with this, with this meal. But often you're just like, you know, winging it. Is this part of what the spirit and food pairings are going to be? You're going to have vendors and professionals to help people understand that or or even better, how to just ask the right questions? Great, yes. So essentially for the pairing, uh, there's a gentleman that is uh, by the name of Charles Springfield. He is a sommelier out of New York. And so he is going to assist us with the wine pairings. Uh, we also have partnered with uh, Fumana International. They are based out of Atlanta. They import all of their wine collection out of South Africa. So a lot of the individuals that are a part of the tasting and pairings and also our VIP experience will have an opportunity to experience wines out of South Africa. Also, within the event on that Friday night with the flight menu, um, her name is Mora. She is actually working with 14 Flavors to create a flight menu. So they paired her wines from South Africa with their with their dishes. Hmm. Interesting. So you've got, I know Friday there's, um, okay, I know that you have events scheduled for Friday and Saturday. Saturday, I know, is at the Festival Marketplace. Um, Friday is at Forks and Flavors. Um, what do you 
And then, isn't is that it? Just those two things? Yeah. So Friday, Friday night yeah, Friday. is the, Friday night is the dinner at Forks and Flavors. Um, Saturday night is our cocktails and conversation, and then Sunday is our full day um, food and wine festival from 11 to 8 p.m. And what is that going to look like? Wow. So the food and wine festival is essentially it's a marketplace of various vendors. Uh, we have about 30 to 40 vendors within the marketplace um, from all walks of life. We have chefs, we have bakers, um, the sommelier will be doing the wine pairings and tastings. Uh, we'll also have um, artisans, uh, mixologists, individuals that will help curate cocktails to provide that experience. Mm. Um, there's also a LGBTQ-owned um, lounge here in Chicago, cocktail lounge, uh, named Nobody's Darling. They're mm-hmm. partnering with us, and we're so pleased that they are flying down to Atlanta, and they're going to provide the VIP experience for us. So within wow. that tent, the more curated experience, they've created these crafted cocktails for us. Uh, we're working with the chef to create these, again, curated menus to pair with the cocktails. Um, so we want to make sure we provide this amazing vibe for our VIP ticketed individuals. Now, are we going to have to just wait for once a year to have this, or is your your plan to try to do it in other cities, a version of this? Extremely like great globally. Question. <laughs> you already know, yes. So my goal mm-hmm. is actually to sit in Chicago next year, earlier prior to summer, maybe right before summer, and then still continue to have it in Atlanta. And so each year we want to try and maybe add on an additional city uh, or maybe uh, rotate on different cities depending on where. Um, There's a couple people actually on the East Coast that are extremely interested in as well. Mm -hmm. I can see that. I can see that. I know now you know you're making me hungry. <laughs> you're making me <laughs> hungry already. Hey, you know, um, but uh, wow. Well, you have to do it in Chicago. We have, before I, you know, I can't make it to Atlanta this year, so you have to do it in Chicago, and I'll be there. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, you have the IP set up for you already. So um, now I know that there are going to be people. I got two things. First of all people who want to be engaged and involved in it this year about buying tickets for the events. But then I know that there are going to be people who are going to hear this and they're going to go like, darn, I'm doing that. I should be a part of it. I want to connect. So tell us how people can, who are going to be in Atlanta, you know, and, and it's, you don't just have to be from Atlanta because, like I said, I was there one year and I'm from Michigan. How can they uh, get their tickets? and be involved this year. But if you're someone who's going like, hmm, I wish I had known about this. Let me think about it. I want to be involved long-term. How do, who do they reach out to you? <laughs> and how does that happen? Great question again. Um, we have our living website, which is www.lgbt fw.com. On that living website, you will continue to see updates on all the information about our current events. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, reach out to me 
Um, and my email address is T Logan, that's L O G A N, at Ebane Man, which is E B A N M A N dot com. But on mm-hmm. our website, which is a living website, and the reason why I call it a living website, it will always update on future events that we also plan on having more curated experiences uh, prior to our major festivals, leading up to our major festival, festivals. Mm-hmm. We'll also have a marketplace. If you are a vendor that has a product, you can post your product on the site for other patrons that may want to shop and support. We're also working on the first LGBTQ wine club experience. With a wine club experience, you'll also have an opportunity to support and participate and taste the Somalia wine that we've curated, the South African wines um, that we've partnered with, an array of things that we've curated experiences for the LGBTQ community. So I have a question. I mean, and I have a lot of friends who have been to South Africa you know, I'd go to South Africa to, to visit and stuff. But, you know, there are some people who will go, oh, why are they having things from South Africa? It seems to me from what I'm seeing, there's a, a, a vibrant community there. But how did you connect with South Africa sommeliers? Great question again. Um, loving loving this conversation. Uh, The way we connected, as I was looking for people within our community, within the LGBTQ community, that are wine or spirits owners, again, as I said before, it's very limited. So Mm -hmm. when I came across an individual that is um, based in Africa, that is part of the community, it was a huge... Um, excitement for me um, to mm-hmm. be able to showcase this individual, and we're working on being able to really showcase this individual. And so within that connection, I wind up connecting with an importer that focuses on that particular market. And for me, again, I always want to try and elevate the experience and also showcase the depth of not only the LGBTQ not only the black, but if I can also showcase from what I would consider the motherland, I would mm-hmm. love to do that. And so that was the reasoning by, behind that and making that connection with the uh, wine distributor out of South Africa. It was a win-win situation for me. Um, she's excited mm-hmm. we're excited as well just to bring another level of experience to the community. You know, like I said, Tom, you and I are going to talk again. And I and I love that, and I love what you're doing, not Thank only, you. like, through this, but that that's the other page. It's like particularly for our community here in the United States that we sometimes have to look beyond and recognize that we are part of the greater diaspora. And yeah. within that, all of these things are happening and to be a part of it. We don't have to be isolated. You know, we don't have to see ourselves through this limited lens that sometimes is here in the United States of America, that we are part of this huger, broader community, and representation matters. I mean, you know, you know, maybe you'll see, hey, they're doing that in South America, how come I can't do this in South Carolina, you know? 
Exactly. So, so I mean, I so I think that I applaud you Thank for you. your vision, for your inclusiveness, you. and for making this happen. I think this is just like really, really awesome. Um, <laughs> this is just like, but I should have known. Anytime Phil tells me, you know, you really need to to talk to him, and I was there to esteem awards. I heard, you know, you, we had you had like your a quick blurb, and I was like, oh, you know, and I made right another so I had to get circle back and talk to him. Okay, but thank then you. Thank this this came up then that gave me this opportunity to talk to you. So again, I have that for people to, and I will also, you know, put it visually, you know, post that. If you want to buy tickets, if you want to stay in touch, to go to www.lgbtfw.com. You've got the tickets, you've got registration. I mean, you're going to keep it up to date about um, events. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is just like great. I wish you the best of success. If some magic should happen that I could be myself in there this weekend. I, I mean, that weekend for for that, I certainly would let you know, but I don't think it's going to happen because I've got another trip coming. But, I mean, I see this. I could see Thanks. you doing this in D.C., in New York, in, and, you know, all over, really, and it just being a phenomenal success. Congratulations. I'm pulling it together. And... I'm going to talk to you after I give, I'm going to give you a minute to relax and unwind after this because I know it's going to be some work. I'm going to give you a minute to relax and unwind, and I'll reach out to you, and we'll talk again. Awesome. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Well, we just finished talking with about um, this event, uh, the Atlanta Black Pride, and part of, of that Black Pride being artists in the afternoon. But what we want to talk about now is to zero in on one of the moderators for Artists in the Afternoon, who is also an author, a thought, I would say, leader, change agent in his own right. Derek, and I yes. you know what I I usually ask, ask people how to pronounce their last name, so I'm going to let you tell me. How do you pronounce your last name? It is Tennille, like the Captain and Tennille. You might be too young to remember that. but I like remember the them, and I was going to say that, and I said, oh, he's going to say, how, how hokey is that? You know, that, but, yeah, that was what I was going to say, Tennille. Derek, um, it is so good to talk to you, and... Like I was telling you, one of the things that I liked about you is um, you're talking about rethinking the narrative, which is part of your book. But 
you are originally from Memphis, correct? Yes. And now you're living in Atlanta. What was yes. life like growing up in Memphis, and what was the narrative that you heard as far as who you were, what you could be, where you could go? Well, um, Memphis is, of course, the what I call it the the buckle of the Bible Belt. Um, mm. In the at, um, you have a lot of mainstream denominations, or several mainstream denominations, I should say, that are headquartered in the city of Memphis, and one of them being um, the Church of God in Christ. And so, um, when we say that, you know. There's a church on every corner in Memphis. We really literally mean that um, there is a church on every corner. Um, I, I grew up um, and attended church in Memphis in one of the uh, Baptist church, but we were, I would say, right down the street from um, three of the largest and most prominent Kojic churches in the city. Um, and so uh, being growing up in Memphis and surrounded by um, the religiosity of the city um, did have a, a, a bearing on um, the upbringing that I indeed received. Memphis is a very uh, a wonderful city that is, um, was once upon a time known as America's distribution center. Um, oh. And that being so, Memphis is also a very polarizing city. Um, you are, it's very black and white. It's very, um, again, religious, non-religious. And so it's a struggle. Uh, it was a struggle for, for me uh, to find my footing and my place um, as, at that time, a, a member, a silent member, I would say, not necessarily a closeted member, but a silent member of the, the black queer community. Um, and so, of course, um, I grew up um, being conflicted as many as many people during that time um, about um, my sexuality as well as my spirituality, and I struggled for many years in order to reconcile um, those two things. And um, and when I finally got to a point of where I was able to reconcile my spirituality and my sexuality, I wrote about it um, in a book called Saved, Sanctified, and Same Gender Loving, and of course that play on the old Pentecostal phrase, saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. So um, I took that and I just kind of wrote uh, just a few stories about my experiences and how I came to reconcile my sexuality and spirituality. Um, growing up in, uh, once I moved away, of course, but part of that was growing up in a city that um, is so um, religious um, and, 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 and has that Pentecostal and, and, and charismatic and Baptist and uh, CME flair all at the same time. Hmm. Wow. You know, and I noticed, because I was looking at some of the other books, and I saw that Save, Sanctified, uh, and Same Gender Loving, and also you wrote Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And, yes. You know, and was all of this part of, okay, first of all, did you write them before or after you left Memphis? And was all of this as part of your coming to live your life authentically, not like you said, you know, you you weren't 
closeted, but you weren't totally living authentically because you had these conflicts about, is this right? You know, is this wrong? I've been raised in this. So when did you write these, and were they part of that coming to the point of living more authentically and out and open? Yes. Um, I, I wrote the book after I left Memphis. I didn't really start. Um, I've always been a writer. But there was a period in time in college that I stopped writing, and I stopped mm-hmm. writing at a particular point in time because, um, you know, writing, writing makes you confront yourself whether you're writing um, um, nonfiction or fiction, there's a, por- a portion or part of you that, that finds its way into the stories or the characters. And um, because I was, I, at that time, could not bring myself to face my, my, to walk in my authentic truth at 18, 19 years old, I stopped writing. And I stopped writing for a period of 10 years. So it wasn't until after um, I moved Atlanta, um, and I began to, um, to, to work on reconciling my sexuality and spirituality that I started writing again. And so um, I published Save, Sanctified, and Sanctified the Loving in 2011. Um, so it's, it's a little over 11 years old now. And then I followed up with Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Um, and I think at that particular time, I was just, you know, wanting to get something out there to, so that people like myself and those coming behind me would have some sort of reference point um, to say, hey, this individual went through this and, and, and was able to reconcile uh, his, his sexuality and spirituality, and I can do it too. So um, those books came after I left Memphis and I moved um, to the city of Atlanta. So... After you did it, you moved to Atlanta. Um, were you able to Were you able to take those books when you went back to like even to visit or to bring those lessons learned back to friends, congregations, or have conversations with people mm-hmm. about Oh, were you feeling? We didn't realize that you were feeling this way, or oh, we never thought about it, we never discussed it, were you able to bring those conversations back to the Memphis community? I was able to, to bring the conversations back, um, not in a, um, I could say, a, um, a very broad manner, but there were some conversations that were had or not had. Um, the first book, Say, Sanctified, Sims, and the Loving, I wrote it in such a way that unless, and, and, and I also published the first version under pseudonym. So unless you knew me, unless you knew the situation, um, you did not know who I was referring to unless you were quite, you know, unless you knew me. So I, I didn't use specific names um, in, in the book. I, I gave generalities, um, but nevertheless, I knew exactly who I was referring to. Um, and I did have some conversations with some people, and I did go back and have a couple of book signings uh, and participate in a, in, a, in a few events in the city of Memphis after I published the, published the book. So it did open up um, quite a few doors in the, I would say, the, the, the community at large, but in terms of the um, church community, uh, still very limited, um, mm-hmm. still very closed in terms of that. Um, so 
Um, and, I, and I don't think, I think things are shifting and changing, um, but I'm not sure how much they have in the city in the traditional church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got another title. You know, I mean, I, I sort of look at your titles. You also have like Grown as Men, an Inconvenient Truth. So, yeah, I, you know, um, <laughs> Grown as Men um, was most of my books are um, – autobiographical in nature for for the most part, um, more self-help. And so Grown-Ass Men was my attempt at uh, writing fiction again uh, because I had not written fiction in so long. So I, I wanted to um, take those dynamics of, of what I had experienced growing up as a young um, person in the church, as a young minister in the church, um, and I wanted to put, let's see how far I could push the envelope. And so um, I'll give you, I'll, I'll tease it out just a little bit. And I've only released um, what I call um, one uh, mini story of that series. But the, the, the two main characters are both uh, preachers, and they're in love with each other. And so they're struggling with whether or not to live openly and authentically. Um, one uh, of the preachers is the assistant pastor at his father's church. And it, even though his parents know about him, it is a case of don't ask, don't tell. Whereas the other, his, his uh, fiance, um, is, is very comfortable with who he is, and he has all but divorced himself, from lack of a better term, from traditional church. So there is this struggle when they become engaged as to, um, you know, how are we going to live our lives authentically? <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. So, yeah, I know, and I know that often, and I talk to other people sometimes, like, they say, well, I wanted to tell this, but, you know, I, I wrote it like sort of fiction. Whatever. But did you have people, like you said, people who knew you knew, you know? But when did, and especially the one that you wrote and you didn't use your own name, what made you go back and say, hey, I'm claiming, saved, sanctified, and same-gender loving? What made you um, decide to go and claim that? I was driving down uh, I-20 here in Atlanta, um, and Spirit said to me, do not use your pseudonym again. Mm. <laughs> and, mm. and I was like, huh? <laughs> um, and so that was the – it wasn't a conversation between me and Spirit. It was more like a – Okay, and so when I printed the second edition, after I went back and made some edits, then I put my name on there. Um, the style in which I wrote the book is still the same, but um, I put my, my likeness, my, uh, and my, I gave a little bit more detail about my biography on the back of the cover, so I fully owned my truth and fully owned my and fully owned my work. Um, sometimes, you know, when we, um, I, I was trying to figure out, I guess, in using a pseudonym, I was it wasn't to bring shame or anything upon anyone, um, but sometimes we have a tendency, whether we realize it or not, to protect our abusers. Mm. 
Uh, uh-huh. And lead that in a sense. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to protect the very people that um, had a hand in um, these stories. And so instead of, and then it didn't allow me to walk in my, my truth authentically. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yes. So I did like, a, like the spirit came and said, you know, don't do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty much that was it. There was a hand tapping like, nope, don't do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are not, not a little suggestion. Like maybe you should, don't do that. <laughs> don't, no. <laughs> oh, wow. So typically when, when spirit speaks to me, I can recount the, 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 the exact location as to where I am. And so that's how I was able to tell you. I could probably go back to the exact spot. <laughs> and tell you where I heard it. <laughs> wow, wow. So what made you move from Memphis to Atlanta? Um, again, um, I was, and I was sitting at my former church, um, and some things had occurred. And Spirit said to me, um, I'm moving you out of the shadow of your pastor. And at the oh. time, I had no what that meant. Mm-hmm. And so the next, over the next maybe few days after that occurred, um, Atlanta just kept coming up. And I thought it was me. I thought that everything that had happened and transpired and had gone through, that I was the one trying to run away from some things. And so um, I didn't really talk to anyone about what I was contemplating. And a dear friend of mine, um, who was in ministry as well, came to me and said to me that it was time for me to go. Mm. Um, Again, had not had any conversations with anyone about anything. (laughs) And Uh at that point, it was confirmation for me. And so over the next, I believe it was year or so, I began to make preparation. Um, I, I left Memphis because I needed to grow. Um, I I felt that I needed to figure out who I was, um, and I also needed to figure out who I was not. And so um, moving to Atlanta gave me the opportunity to shed my um, religiosity um, Mm -hmm. and to just be daring because I had for so long and for seven years wrapped myself in being at that time minister to Neil and then elder to Neil, I didn't know who Derek was. And so moving here gave me the opportunity to just simply be and to be Derek. Mm, mm, mm. Wow. Wow. I mean, I mean, it seems like I said you got – you got kicked out the crib. It was like that. Like it's time for you to go. It's time for you to Thanks. go. <laughs> yeah, and you need to go. And and it's time for you to to claim your name. Yes. Was this yes. the beginning of let's rethink that narrative? I would like to think so because um, before we even made it to this 
this iteration of Rethink the Narrative, um, there were some other um, business ventures that I kind of played with that had the same kind of um, flavor, um, but I, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't quite grow into I wasn't quite ready for, for them. Um, a lot of this, when I, when I came to Atlanta, I came to Atlanta not only to, to find myself, but I also, um, when I came, um, enrolled in a doctoral program. And so um, working on my doctorate um, changed my perspective uh, on a lot of things. It, it, it really opened my mind to how I was seeing the world and, and part of my transformation. And so um, with that, I began to evolve and this whole notion of I'm a, narr- I'm a narrative researcher, so this whole notion of the counter story and um, um, the counter narrative began to permeate my being. And so that's where Rethink started to come in at. And then, of course, the spiritual community that I um, became a member of um, here in the city. Again, we were progressive, uh, Christ-conscious, um, um, spiritual community that, you know, that was challenged. The uh, pastor challenged us to, to think and then think again. So the first iteration of my company was called Let's Rethink That. And then mm-hmm. as I began, to, the vision began to expand, uh, I changed the name to Rethink the Narrative, keeping mm-hmm. the same premise of thinking and then thinking again about what it is you believe and perceive. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the evolution uh, to where I am now, and and, and this and, and where rethink the narrative is um, occurred over I would say at least a ten year period to get to where mm-hmm. I am today. So I'm really all about our, our mission is to to um, be a creative voice that educates, empowers, and entertains communities of color and beyond. Mhm. And I mean, it's like you've done a lot of stuff, okay? You've been, but how did, as you were starting to rethink your narrative, y'all doing motivational speaking, I mean, did you find that your message started to change as you were rethinking for you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there was no way I could stay the same and and, and, and go around teaching um, and, and preaching about rethinking the narrative, and my narrative was the same. Um, and so, yes, um, as I went around the country, um, I began to, again, give people what I was, the transformation that, that, that I had been through. I began to talk about that, and, and, and I still talk about that. That is part of my message and, and what I encourage people to do. Um, and so, yes, there's no way I could have, <laughs> I could have stayed in some sort of traditional um, box um, while trying to teach people to come outside the box. So, yes, I, I evolved, and, and I took people on that evolution with me, um, and, and I'm still taking people, hopefully, those who are, who are open to, 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 to rethinking the narrative on, on, that, on that journey with me. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I, what I like about that, and often, you know, when I talk to, to people, I mean, not just like on, on this show, but I have been in different um, employment situations, um, counseling type things. And I mean, and often what I think about is I can recall at one point I was in a HR position and there would be, I remember this woman coming in who had no narrative, really. If you asked her, well, you know, what can you do? I mean, it was just like she didn't see herself. She didn't look at her life and see the narrative of her life and define herself by that. Because when she did that, there were so many skills and talents and abilities and what she could reach for were far more than what she yes. came in with. Yes. And often I'll talk to someone and it's like you say, well, tell me about you. And, um, or I'll ask them like, you know, they'll send me a bio and all it is is like, I worked here, I worked there, I worked that. But you're so much more than that. Yeah. What do you tell people about claiming, developing their narrative? Um, two two things. One, you know, um, we have the identity that is assigned to us, but mm-hmm. we also have the identity that we give ourselves. And part of the uh, of that, I ended up writing. Um, a, a, a little short book um, about that as well, uh, entitled "Yes, I Can." And mm-hmm. "Yes, I Can" is all about celebrating um, yourself and understanding and knowing that you have the power to recreate the reality that you want to see. If you don't like it, what you're seeing, then recreate it. And you can do that as many times as you want to and need to in order to become the person that you were designed to be before the foundations of the world were laid. So um, that, is, that, is, that, is, that is the core and the foundation of who I am and what I do in terms of, hey, if you don't like it, recreate it. And if you don't like that, guess what? Recreate it again. So it's this whole power of, 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 of manifesting and manifestation um, that, that we don't, a lot of times, we don't, we're more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. We're more powerful than we, than we imagine. Um, as, as I do subscribe to the notion and the old scripture that as a man thinketh in his heart, a man or a woman, or as a person thinketh in their heart, so is that person. And so... And then there's life and death and the power of the tongue. So we shall have whatsoever we say. We are that powerful that mm. our words, whatever we say, the universe has to bend and respond and create, whether it's positive or negative, the universe will create whatever we say. We are that powerful. Mm. So once I understood that within my own life, I began to, cre- to recreate the reality that I wanted to see. And trust mm-hmm. me, it's a lot. I like, I like what I, I see 20 years later <laughs> that I did 20 years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, really, I mean, you know, it's like you want to be, it's like a, a journey. I mean, and you want to yeah. see, like you say, 
that, that you're going and accomplishing and doing things. Do you ever have someone who, who maybe has not seen you in a while? Do they ever go like, wow, how did you get here? You were, you know, you were quiet. You were shy. You were questioning. And now here you are, and you've got the nerve to be out here trying to tell other people to do the same thing. Do you ever have people come up there and, you know, like sort of, you know, challenge you, like, you know, what is your lane, you know? Yeah. The, the 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 funny part is it's it's not it's it is indeed people that that knew me way back then, but the funny part is it's also people who are close to me, um, who were close to me way back then as well. You know, uh, I was the um, the very traditional one. I was the one who who took the Bible very literal, <laughs> uh, and so for me to go from this very straight laced Pentecostal boy to thinking a new thought and doing something totally different and my 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 whole notion of God in the universe having been has been changed and expanded. I am a one eighty from where I was twenty years ago. And so they uh, my friends who knew me back then, they look at me like, Oh my God, this is not who we thought you would evolve into. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> they thought I mean you know, I was serious um, about church and about God and about religion. I was very, very serious. But also, at that same time, I was curious because mm-hmm. I knew that that was not all of the story, that there was something more, that my version of God at that time was not the final version of God. And so... um I had to leave where I was in order to go on this spiritual journey to become this person. And so now I see, I see spirit, universe, intelligence, God, whatever you, you want to, to, to name it or call it, I, I see it in so many different splendors, in so many different ways, and in, in everything there is. Um, one of my favorite lines um, uh, in the um, – the, the, the color purple, um, when Shug Avery, and this is a musical, sings, um, God is inside you and, and everyone else there was or ever will be. We came into this world with God, but only those who look inside find him. Uh-huh. And that is, the, that is that place in space that I live in. Uh-huh. You know, I have, and uh, I can like, uh, someone would say, you know, when people talk about like about staying in your lane or like just like, well, what, well, what are you going to do? And I said, you know, I don't have a lane. I said, my, I'm part of a, a multi-lane super highway, you know, and, and you know, and and I merge in and out of traffic as needed. And people want, yeah. you know, because often like how important it is like to me is to and claiming your narrative and thinking about your narrative because often I have found that, like, I'll show up at something and people want to put me in this box. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's like, no, you know. I mean, I might bring it through this, but I've got other things to do too. Do you find that, you know, I mean, I know that you've been an educator, you've been a motivational speaker, you've done all this, that often when you show up, people want to, like, okay, well, Dr. Tanil will be talking about Jesus, that, and the other, and we're expecting 
boom, and I want to put you in a box? Yes. Um, people want to put me in the box, but I, I figured out a long time ago that, especially when I started to walk into this acceptance of my sexuality, that that box that I had was blown to smithereens. <laughs> so, so um, yes, but people still want to put me in that box. And, and, w- and depending on the environment, you know, I, I try to meet people where they are because some people cannot um, eat the food that you are serving because they're not ready to. And so I try to um, give, the, give people a lot of times what they can handle. Um, depending on what their appetite, their appetite is, uh, I, I know the consciousness that I that that I'm able to eat from, and I'm still constantly going and exploring and 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 saying what more is there. But yes, there are people who try to keep me in in that box. But there's enough of them to know that yeah, I can only go so far with you when it comes to <laughs> certain strings of thought. <laughs> I can only go so far. <laughs> Not really. Sometimes it's like, you know, okay, and it's like, all right, okay, oh, wait a minute, you know, wait, wait a minute, because you don't want to be, you know, I don't want to suck all the air out of the room with my big ideals right. and my big thoughts, but I do right. want to be that 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 breath of fresh air that not only brings in my ideals, but stimulates others to yes. do to do what they're going to do. So, yes. you know, so you, so when you kept going and you, you've gotten now, it's like, is let's rethink that. Is that like a organization? Is that your, or is that your business name? Or is that something that people can come to and get ideals from? What all do you yes. understand? Yes. Um, Rethink the Narrative uh, is my organization. It is a, a media company. And so we're in the process now of uh, developing projects that really cause people to do exactly what the name says, to rethink. Mm-hmm. Um, we um, recently um, completed, and we're in the process of still editing and trying to get some other things done, uh, a, a docu-series um, entitled um, Queer and Authentic, or Q&A, my name is, um, and my pronouns are. And we um, explored the stories of several individuals in, uh, on their journey to um, reconciling basically their sexual and gender identity in today's society. Um, and so um, that's one of the things that we're working on. And then there's another um, docu-series um, that I've got planned that will deal with um, an aspect of mental health within our community. So we're, we're, we're looking at, um, at doing some more exciting and wonderful things. Um, so also in, a, in addition to that, um, I, the company, we also publish other authors. So we have quite mm-hmm. a few authors under um, the Rethink the Narrative Wing, and the, their, their work is, again, the whole premise of, of pushing the envelope and thinking and then thinking again about what people believe and, believe and perceive. And in addition, we have some traditional thinkers that are under the Rethink the Narrative umbrella, but we also have some people out there that push the envelope in terms of this whole space and place 
especially where spirituality is concerned. So um, we covered the gamut, and I'm looking forward uh, in the coming months and years to pushing the envelope even more um, relative to getting people to um, think and then think again about what they believe and perceive. You know, I was looking at um, the book Rethink Freedom, uh, personal to political, and I noticed that one of the contributors is someone that I know, John Trimble. And um, how did you determine the contributors to this to this work? I just simply put an all call out to mm-hmm. uh, I think on Facebook at at that particular time, and um, whoever responded, I I gave them the title um, or, or or the concept behind the. The, the book, but I did not tell them what to write. So um, I would like to think that spirit orchestrated everything, and the stories and poems that came in simply fit. Uh-huh. And that's, that's how we got to where we, where we are with that particular piece. Wow. So it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, hey, I need you to write this. I need you to write that. Nope. You do what spirit tells you to do and how you feel led, and it all came together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it difficult to say, okay, these are the final ones, or, you know, this one, this one really gets it, but, you know, or maybe, like, this one isn't saying it the way that I would, but I get it. Um, no, there was very... Of course, there was some editing that occurred, but in terms of changing of concepts and ideas, um, no. I would would say that um, the contributors' um, original ideas made it to the final the final cut of the book, the final mm-hmm. print of the book. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to take a a slight break. Let people stretch their legs and. Um, Part of, and you know, and I'm going to tell you right now, we will talk again because okay. I think there's ways that we are, we have a bigger conversation to have than what time today does. But I want to talk about uh, an event that you're going to be involved in during Atlanta Black Pride Artists in the Afternoon. So I'm going to take a, a pause for the cause, as they say, and we'll be right back. All right. And I am here with the captain of his narrative, (laughs) Dr. Derek (laughs) Tamir. You know I had to get that in at some point. I couldn't resist, you know. Oh, that's funny. Um, That's how I get people to remember my name all the time. (laughs) You know, I, I had to I had to get it in sometime, you know. One of the things that you're going to be in, involved in, um, and we've been talking about Pride in Atlanta in September, is you are going to moderate a panel. And it is called Cocktails and Conversations, Artists in the Afternoon. You're going to have prose, poetry, and more. And I'm looking, you know, I always look. I mean, just like on the book, I saw John Trimble. Um, here I see um, a good friend of mine, Tim West, poet yeah. and author, Dr. Cedric uh, Bridgeforth, 
I mean, as you were talking about your life being in the church, I remember talking to him, and he talked about about his life in the church. I mean, so here you've got this this amazing panel, and you're going to moderate two author panels covering everything from tapping uh, your inner artist to how to get published and more. Now, um, I was in Princeton earlier this year. And at one point I was talking to some young people and we were talking about activism. And I had given like, you know, like rah-rah speech, what we must do as gay people and everything. But then within it, I did some poetry. And this young lady, and I, and I can't think what's the name of this, um, from this institute, and they were on the panel for social justice. And where they were up there, of course, there weren't that many uh, people of color. And so they were there, and um, she was like, well, you did poetry. And she said, do you really think that poetry has a role in social justice? And I was telling her, that you know, poetry and the arts have always been a part of every social justice movement. There's something about how it touches the heart, the spirit, the soul, and does it. This panel that you're doing, how did it come about? And the types you're using, prose, poetry, more, you've got people from different um, walks of life. You've got a number of, uh, like I said, Tim, I met Tim doing poetry, you know, and yeah. I think that's how we first knew each other as poetry, through poets, and then like later on as authors, uh, you know. So here, artists in the afternoon, why that theme, and what are you hoping to develop as you moderate it? Um, so, artists in the afternoon was really a concept that um, I developed several years ago, um, but did not um, execute it at that time for various reasons. Um, so when um, Seal Esteem of um, the Esteem Awards and Pride Index mm-hmm. contacted me, um, we're good friends, and said, hey, I would like to do an event in Atlanta for, for Pride um, with artists, um, I already had the blueprint written out. <laughs> so <laughs> it was... <laughs> It was a it was a no brainer. Uh, all I did was I knew exactly where it was. I pulled it out, dusted it off, and and immediately got to work. So um, um, rethink the narrative and um, the esteem awards. We are um, we're presenting the artist in the afternoon, and um, we've got um, some event sponsors: um, Redefined LLC, um, Ivan Mon, um, as well as Meat Productions and others. Um, and so we put it together. Um, Phil has been instrumental in helping me pull together all of this wonderful, um, wonderful talent. But what we wanted to showcase uh, was that, you know, during this weekend, of course, there's, it's, it's a very uh, fun, fabulous, and celebratory weekend. But we also wanted to give people something to think about. We also want to bring forth some enlightenment and, and, and throw the arts in there because, like you said earlier, you know, the, the, the arts um, in itself is at the forefront of every movement in America or every movement in history. And so we want to carry that forward that, you know, while we are celebrating 
um, Black Gay Pride. But we want to make sure that we, we don't forget the arts and the, and the place that the arts have in our culture. And so we're pulling together these wonderful minds, um, and hopefully we'll get, a, get an opportunity to share some of their, their work and talk about their experiences so that hopefully we will motivate um, some other up-and-coming artists um, to share their works and their thoughts and, and their perceptions so that we can keep this, this momentum going um, in society. So um, that's how we came up with it. Um, we put it together relatively in a short period of time and then um, uh, brought in, again, those other spon sponsors that I mentioned earlier to be a part, and it just came together. It was, um, you know, it, it was synergistic. It, it, it just all flowed, <laughs> and it happened. Okay. And so we are okay. so excited um, about um, Saturday, September 3rd, from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. at the Metro Library at 1332 Metropolitan Parkway here in Atlanta, um, where we're going to have those panels. I will moderate the first two sessions, and the third session, which is the in, the and more that we mentioned on the flyer, which is mental health, wealth, and love, will be moderated by um, Redefine's um, founder and CEO, Dr. Jesse Sanders. And we will talk about how um, health and health, uh, mental health plays a part in our ability to uh, build wealth and to have successful and loving relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things, you know, because I, I often think about, about our narrative, and I can recall a few years ago, I was on an author's panel at DC Pride, and um, we were talking about writing, and there were a number of young, and that actually they were mostly primarily black gay men, but there were one or two uh, lesbians, and they were talking about, like, some of them said that some of the things that they wanted to write that they didn't because when they went to whoever was going to publish, it was like particularly if it was for a gay man, they were looking for a very sexualized story. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the the women talked about how well, they wanted that, again, it was like you sort of got lost, you were drawn to the dark side, you had your affair with a woman, but then you got Jesus, and then you went back to, you went back to, you know, to living your best life. And they said, well, they felt that if they didn't give in to what, whoever it was publishing people that they were going to, that, you know, well, they, they have no success. And um, I know, like, I know, like, Kim. Uh, I know uh, Cedric. I know um, uh, Wayne Childry. I know a lot of other people who, her, who went ahead and wrote something to say what they wanted to say, to tell that true story. I know that you've done that. Part of your um, moderation on your panel is going to talk about how to get published. And again, like to me, if we claim our narrative, if we say, no, that is not the narrative of black queer people, you know, and our lives are bigger than that. Yeah. We want to tell these stories that then there'll be a publishing market. But what do you say to 
uh, young creatives who see that, okay, either if they're writing something, or I know people who are musicians and they say, well, if I don't show myself in this way, I won't get a video, I won't get shown, I won't get play. What do you say to them about holding on to their narrative and how do they then get published, get get what they, you know, be able to make a living? You know, they might not become Beyonce rich, but, you know, <laughs> they, they, they won't be on the corner with a guitar and a cup, you know? Yes. Um, one of the things is, and, and I thought about this when I wrote the first book, Save, Sanctified, and Change, and the Loving, it was all for the audience of one. And what I mean by that was it was for that one person, if it was just that one person that was like myself, that was struggling to uh, reconcile the sexuality and the spirituality. If I only helped that one person, then it was all worth it. Um, and so a lot of times you have to go into it with that mindset. Um, the first person that I helped was, was me. <laughs> uh, as you probably heard, that the message always comes to the preacher first. Well, it came to me first, so I had to, to, to disseminate that. But I was able to give it away. And I trust the universe to take that story to whomever, wherever, um, whoever needs it. Um, so I, I didn't necessarily, you know, worry about that. And I would encourage them, don't worry about the audience, um, if there's an audience for it. If spirit allowed you to conceive it, then there's an audience for it. Just put it out there and see where it goes. Um, publishing in itself, you know, there's so many avenues because there's so many, there's there's so many ways to do it now. And, and, and the, with the advent of the Internet and the expansion of the Internet, um, self-publishing has hit the roof. Um, it, there's so many ways to, to do it and so many avenues to get your book um, out there. Um, and so that was the, the route that I chose to take, again, was the self-publishing route because I was not sure, um, you know, how well-received um, my story would be. But nevertheless, I wanted to, 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 to get it out there. Um, and so I used my own resources and, and did my own um, work in terms of how could I self-publish um, this book. So. For me, I did not go the traditional route of trying to go through a traditional publishing company. Um, I did self-publish. And um, there are a lot of wonderful um, self-publishing uh, operations out there um, um, to help young artists get their, book, their books out there, to get their stories out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a whole different world than what it is. So like you said, you know, as you you publish it, and I've met people who initially, the first version, they self-published, and then it got picked up yeah. later on, you know. I mean, perfect example, Andrea Jenkins, who, I don't know if you know, she's a trans activist, but she's on the city council of Minneapolis. She was the first openly trans woman who to be elected, and then she was elected president of the city council. 
And But when I met her, it was through poetry. She had in her purse this book that she had, she had published, you know, just with poems that she thought were important that she did. And every place she went was like, oh, you need to buy a book, you know. And then as life would go, you know, things changed. And later on, that she's Andrea Jenkins, you know, on the news. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the book got picked up and done it. But her book and some of the poetry, you know, I had, I've read some of her poetry at a Transgender Day of Remembrance, and there were some people that said, I needed to hear that. So like you said, you write it, and if you touch one person, you know, what's meant to be will be. Yes. Yes. You know? And again, only take that. It only takes that, that book getting into the hands of the right person um, mm-hmm. for it to, you know, to become a huge success. So, you know, again, put it out there. Just put it out there. That's, that's, that's what I would encourage any person that has a story to tell. Tell the story and let the universe do what the universe does. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, Okay. Because we've already established that you and I are going to talk again. Um, If someone (laughs) for the conversations in Atlanta, um, how do people find out about it? I know that um, it is on the LGBTFW.com website under events. I know it's there. Uh, It's a free event, correct? Correct. It is a free event, um, free free entry, free parking, and we will be providing um, some nice hors d'oeuvres um, and, and beverages to go along with it for the afternoon as well. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RethinkIn. Um, as well, you can find it also with Meet Productions. I do believe that Ebon Mon has uh, a link to the information as well about the the weekend, um, and also the Pride uh, the Pride Index and um, the Esteem Awards. So there are many ways to find out about us. If you're on Facebook, we have an events page uh, entitled Artists in the Afternoon, Prose and Poetry and More. Um, so you could easily um, just find us there and subscribe to the event um, so that you can receive all of the updates. Okay, and if someone um, wants to talk to you, wants to have you come and, and, and speak with their group or wants to get on that journey with you regarding rethinking the narrative, um, what's the best way? To yes, your the best way you can um, uh, DM me on Instagram, um, Facebook, as well as you can email me directly at Derek, that's D-E-R-R-I-C-K, at RethinkTheLetterN.com. Again, that's Derek at RethinkN.com. Well, Derek, I want to thank you for, for, for spending this time with me. I look forward to additional conversations from you, especially I'd like to hear after you finish your panel, like what came out of that. But um, I love it. (laughs) I really love it. You've uh, you've got some great people going. Um, Speak now. I want to thank my guest, Tom Logan, 
CEO of Ebanman Inc., and Dr. Derek Tenio, founder and CEO of Rethink the Narrative Media Company, taking place over the Labor Day weekend, Atlanta's Black Pride promises something for everyone with day and night parties and over 25 events that are open to all. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.